Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Welcome back, or maybe it's your first time to the Fully Delighted Podcast. My name is Adam, and I get to serve as the pastor of Central Ministries here at SMCC. And uh, we're back a little bit earlier than what we, I guess, originally said back in the last season, because I think we're in episode, or season 10 now, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. I'm hoping a little surprise and delight here for our church, you know? We're yeah. in this uh, Colossians series, and as we started going through the text and writing these messages, we were we were just so excited to get back on the podcast and help our church walk through the text because it's so helpful, so powerful, so beautiful. And so um, here we are going through Colossians verse by verse in the podcast and yeah. um, kind of taking a little deeper than we have time to go uh, on Sunday. So yep. welcome back, everybody. Good to be with you. Yeah, it seems like an opportune you know thing to do because we're back in another book study, essentially. So we really didn't take you know, a whole bunch of time off because we were last year with the Kingdom is Like series. Yep, Kingdom is so Like. Good. Yeah, you know, I enjoyed that. I learned a ton. And then um, Triage, How to Survive a Spiritual Emergency, which produced so much fruit in the life of our church and, yeah. um, you know, hope in people's lives. And mm-hmm. now Colossians, Bad Faith is how we're titling this series. And so really excited. But for the listeners, um, guys, what uh, what's going on in your lives? What's, what have we missed out on? What's exciting? Maybe exciting in the life of our church. We've had some big things happen in terms of events and things. Things since we've last been together. So, any update? Tre- Trevor's here. Yeah, yeah. Trevor. I just wanted Trevor to pipe in. Trevor, I am here. Trevor's <laughs> been been killing it lately around here as a leader. Um, Trevor, what's keeping you busy? You're just kind of busy around here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's been super fun. We had uh, man camp about three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, and then we had. Uh, so that was the men's men's conference where we camped out at the Draper yep. um, campus. Super fun. Um, different things like a pickleball tournament, top golf, um, all that, all that fun stuff. Poker tournament that mm-hmm. went till about two a.m. in the morning. Wow! Oh, and yeah. then two weeks after that, this past weekend, we had the Flourish Conference. Yeah. That was super fun. Flew in uh, Dr. Ashley Andrew from the Townsend Institute to mm-hmm. speak on character, and uh, yeah, so fun. And now we're launching the men's and women's summer series this yep. very week. So yeah, it's been busy, but it's been fun. If you're listening to this and you're not signed up, get signed up for the men's summer series, women's summer series. It's our um, it's our chance to equip um, our church in the area of the hands. So we talk about head, heart, and hands, and hands is really. Not just what you do with your hands, but really being competent in the roles that you place your hands to, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know, put your hand at the plow, and you you move forward throughout life. And so we want to lead people, uh, support people, equip people as they live out all those roles as Jesus followers. And so, um, talking about work, uh, Carissa and I are doing a talk on sex next week, and we're kind of going to come at this from a pretty uh, unique angle. We're really excited about, and then. Um, Man, physical health is a part of it. How do we honor God with our bodies and a whole bunch of things. So, hmm. so get signed up and, um, you know, some of, as, as leaders, you know, when we try new things and this is admittedly a new thing, um, yeah. you know, there's people who say, I don't know if it can be done. You know, the summer's crazy. And we have, I think 169 ladies signed up and 120, 130 guys signed up for yeah. these summer series. So hmm. I am just thrilled that, uh, we can continue to take our next steps as disciples. Uh, Jesus is still on the throne through the summer, and so we still we still pursue him as disciples too. So mm-hmm. I'm pumped, guys. Yeah, yeah. Last night was a lot of fun. It was mm-hmm. such a good vibe with the guys, uh, the men's series, which would have been Monday night. But uh, mm-hmm. boy, if you're missing out on that, you probably should just 
sign up now, which I think you still probably could. Yep, you can still jump in. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was so fun. Even if you can't make them do them all, just sign up. They're designed to stand alone, but of mm-hmm. course yeah. connect together and, and roll competencies. But yeah. Um, yeah, get signed up. Love to see you there, guys. 7.30 yeah. on Mondays, ladies. 6.30 on Wednesdays. Also, this is really cool too. Zana, one of our kids pastors, might not like me saying this because I think it's all full full up, but she has like 130 kids signed up for the kids me- midweek in unison with the women's yeah. summer wow. series. So it's yeah. just, it's just wow. it's so much momentum, so much energy uh, around here right now. So yeah. um, I'm, it's just so fun. I'm excited. Fantastic. Very cool. Well, and, and before we press on even more, Joe, uh, excuse me, not Joe, Pastor Nick's middle school camp has a 150 people signed up. That wow. camp is full. There's no Jeez. more room at middle yeah. school camp. Yeah. And high school camp's almost there too. So, um, man, great stuff happening. Yeah. You know, to all of you who call SMCC home, thanks for being a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do we want to jump in, guys, and get to the text, as they say? The yeah. words on the page? Yeah, Colossians 1. What's the, uh, what background do we need to understand, Trevor, about the text itself or how we're packaging it in the series so we can mm-hmm. kind of... Um, yeah, grasp what this book is all about. Yeah, I'd say some of the background that you see even in the first chapter is that the Colossian church, uh, the church located in the ancient city of Colossae, isn't actually a church that Paul himself started. Paul is the author of this letter. Uh, he's actually author of much of the many of the letters in the New Testament, significant leader. You get to see his story in the book of Acts. Um, but he's not writing because he knows them or even started this church. But there was a, a, another guy by the name of Epaphras that he trained up in the city of Ephesus. And after that, when they parted ways, Epaphras went to the city of Colossae, started this church. Let me pause you. Is it Epaphras or Epaphras? I, think I say Epaphras. Epaphras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always, I always, uh, I'm trying to figure out if I should pronounce it in the Greek way. Uh, uh, Epaphras. Yeah. Epaphras. I, I, it's an, it's an, the A in the Greek language is an alpha. So yeah. Epaphras. Uh, well, You're probably right. My, my rule of thumb, my standard rule of thumb is just say it with as much confidence as you yes. can. No one else I, knows. I agree. Nobody, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Back to Epaphras or yeah, Epaphras, yeah, who yeah, was yeah, discipled by Paul and then went to the city of Colossae. Yes. Started the church and, uh, you know, good things were happening. People were coming to faith, placing trust in Jesus. And yet, uh, the church began to have some issues, in particular uh, in the, under the category of what you could call bad faith. And so Epaphras reaches out to Paul, who's actually on house arrest in Rome at this mm-hmm. point for his faith in Jesus, explains to him the situation, and Paul responds by writing this letter to address the bad faith of the Colossians. Mm-hmm. And that's what the entire letter is about. Yep. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And nice. some of the bad faith would be what? Mixing in... Uh, some Judaism, mixing in some paganism, mixing in some mm. selfishism, you know, all the above, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. Um, so he's going to correct that and clear that up. I feel like that still happens today. Exactly. Yep. Other worldviews, <laughs> Jesus isn't enough. You need Jesus yep. plus more. And or like I like some of the things in. that Jesus said, but not this piece mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of bad faith ideas out there today. One of them being just the definition of faith itself. Mm. somehow that faith is opposed to good evidence, opposed to good thinking. Uh, that exists in our world. The faith is a feeling. Faith is a force. Faith is mystical. Faith is belief when you don't know how to fill the gap. Um, and, mm-hmm. and none of that is good faith, true faith, biblical faith. And so yeah. um, we're using Colossians to uh, help us define faith accurately. Great. Well, do we want to read through the whole chapter, or do we want to go through sections of it? Um, I want to do sections. Okay. I want to do sections, yeah. yeah. I, uh, when I was preaching at Lehigh, I was 
I was about halfway through the chapter going by verse by verse, and I look up, and the clock says three minutes left. I'm like, oh, my, <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I got to run to the end. So uh, it'll be good to take a little more time here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. So do we just do you want me to start reading, and I can just go through that first section if you want? Yeah. Actually, yeah. Let's, do, uh, let's just do verses one and two because I like, uh, I like framing up the introduction for us. Yeah. The introductions yeah. matter. Mm-hmm. So the intro to the letter is this. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our father. Yeah. Well, let's just start with some, some common observations about an introduction, you know, in the English language, when we sign a letter, we sign it at the, at the end. Yeah. Um, sincerely Eric or whatever. And, uh, but for Paul, it's just the first thing out. You got to know who's writing this. So yep. mm. puts his name there at the top. Um, you know, the next thing that's, that's interesting and, um, is always worth thinking through is the word apostle, mm. especially here in Utah. The word gets used a lot to describe the leaders of the predominant religion here. Um, but they mean something different with that word. And the new Testament has some understandings of what an apostle is and what an apostle isn't. So, um, Trevor, how do you kind of explain this word apostle here? Why did Paul include it and how should we be thinking of it? Are there a bunch of apostles today? What are your, what's your take on some of that? Yeah, the way I would look at it, especially jumping over to Ephesians chapter two, um, basically Paul says at one point, um, that the, the church has been built up basically on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and, Mm. Um, I think it's a reference to a, a group of people that were specially, um, essentially given this special role to lay the foundation for the church um, in the first century. So the disciples are included in that, Paul is included in that, and you actually get Paul's story in the book of Acts, and you see how he came to fill this role. Uh, Acts chapter 9 is pretty key for that. Um, but yeah, that, that's the way that I would take it, as it's not uh, sort of a continuing, ongoing thing. Um, I wouldn't look for an apostle today, um, but the foundation of the apostles is something that we have, and something that, um, you know, even the study in Colossians, we're studying that foundation given to us in a writing that Paul himself wrote. Yep, and the thing that's interesting, that you know, you break down the Greek word just a little bit, it means uh, sent one, or sent out one, sent mm-hmm. from one, and um in order to be considered an apostle in the first century, you had to be sent out by Jesus himself. That was the standard. That was the qualification. And so, of course, Paul's story is a bit unique in that, in that he wasn't an, an eyewitness follower of Jesus, but he had an eyewitness experience that was validated. And so that's why he often in other letters talks about one being included, untimely birth, you know, added later, some of mm-hmm. that language. But what's so interesting, you know, apostrepho is the Greek word for apostle, and um I wonder, this is totally off the, off the rails, but you know the word in English, apostrophe? Mm-hmm. Do you think it comes from the same place? Have you ever looked it up? I mean, it's basically the same word, basically the same spelling, and an apostrophe in English means possession of. So an mm-hmm. apostle of Christ Jesus uh, is someone who's leading in the possession of. I'd, I'd have to study that a little more. Don't, don't take don't me too far you. on that. But yeah. apostrophe, there's like no other word in English like it. Mm-hmm. It's got to come from apostrepho. Yeah, I wonder Greek what word. the etymology of that is. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, strepho sent one, and it's like sent from. So it doesn't necessarily, but it has the idea of possession, like the one who sent you, mm-hmm. um, not owns you or possesses you, but but you get the idea. Comes, yeah. You are sent out as one coming from the one who did the sending, that mm-hmm. type of thing is apostle. So anyways, uh, yeah, no one today fits that qualification because no one today has uh, seen the risen Jesus. 
So mm-hmm. no apostles hmm. today is the Christian understanding of apostleship. Yeah. Um, and the other thing too, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, he's really writing to believers. And I think whenever we see brothers and sisters, it's a way to kind of uh, distinguish that. But that's important contextually because um, we were just having lunch together and we were just re- talking about the, the, the world that we find ourselves in. It's the month of June. And so, um, you know, here in Utah, that is Pride Month. And so there's a lot of interesting conversations, interesting posts, and mm-hmm. a lot of tension, a lot of confusion, a lot of frustration. Um, and we were just talking about the value of, okay, how do you, how do you engage culture and also, you know, not expect non-Christians to act like Christians, non-Jesus followers to act like Jesus followers. And I think when we see an introduction like this, it's helpful to remember he's speaking to those who have bowed the knee to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So anyways, uh, with all that in mind, holy people in Colossae, they're this new group of people. They're set apart in the way that... The Jewish nation was set apart. There's now a new community that includes Jew and Gentile who are now set apart for God's purposes, mm. this new type of community. And so with all that in mind, now we're into the the prayers, how he kind of starts with these prayers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll go three through uh, uh, verse 8 now. So it says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is the faithful minister of Christ, uh, of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Awesome. Well, there's the backstory, Trevor, as you were kind of describing it. Mm-hmm. Right. And their reputation sort of precedes them. Yeah. This is a, a church in a different location, and yet they have a good reputation, and they, they pray for each other. We're going to see that as the section continues. In, in Lehigh, there was a whole second row of people uh, at the Lehigh campus from the St. George campus. And hmm. I, I just wanted to highlight the fact that although the people around the Lehigh campus might not even know that, they might not know that the people mm-hmm. in the second row are from the St. George campus, um, these campuses and these people are praying for each other. And so in some ways it's one church, many locations in the first century um, and reputations are known and connections are being established. Um, yeah. But it's different bodies as well. Bodies mm-hmm. of Jesus. Um, so anyways, uh, pretty cool to see the the relational connection here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some, sim- there's definitely some similarities. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. I, I do think one of the interesting things here is that in the opening chapter, we see, um, these prayers offered, uh, kind of offered at the opening, and then after that, Paul flows into this poem that we'll get to. Um, but you can see, even in this opening prayer, Paul is beginning to foreshadow some of the things he's going to develop further in the poem, and that are really central themes for the entire letter. For example, the phrase, uh, the, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. That phrase, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. You could ask, well, what is that? What's he talking about? And on Sunday, it was kind of fun delving into how the, the gospel message, which he goes on to say that you've already heard about this in the, in the gospel. Um, we talk about it here at SMCC with the language of God created all things, including humanity, commanded us to live in a particular way that was for our good in alignment with how we were created, and humanity then rebelled against that. That introduced brokenness into our uh, selves, into our relationships with each other, into our world, and even into our relationship with God. And thankfully, God chose not to just leave us there, not even to give us what, he des- what we deserved, but instead to extend grace in Jesus, taking on our humanity, living the perfect life we couldn't, and then rising from the grave after dying on the cross. And when he did so in that resurrection, 
he was rising really as the, the first piece of a renewed creation, the beginning of mm. the renewal of all things. Mm-hmm. And so the hope stored up for us in heaven is that renewal of all things uh, that he's going to continue to unpack. Paul is here in his writing, particularly when he gets to the poem, the second half of it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool mm-hmm. to see how dense that little phrase is. Man, yeah. it's packed. It's packed full. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then there's another little phrase that um, is worth highlighting. He has he has this line, the true message of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he puts true in front of it. Um, obviously, he's he knows that this isn't just some type of belief system without evidence or a belief system because we want it to be true, so we've adopted it. It's that this, and, and, and somehow disconnected from good thinking, this is true. It corresponds to the way things actually are. It's based in evidence. You can use reason and logic to decipher whether this is the most logical conclusion of all the facts. Mm. It's true. Yeah. And so already, if we take some of the bad faith definitions of our culture mm-hmm. and we uh, kind of go, what does this text say about it? Colossians one's already clearing up a ton of them. He's talking mm-hmm. about faith. He's used the word twice here and it really is the word trust. It's the word, the word pistis in Greek. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not belief without evidence. It's not belief because you want it to be true. Mm-hmm. Mark Twain, who talks about faith that way, Richard Dawkins, who calls it the great cop out. You don't want to look reality in the face. The, those definitions are unfair and unkind. I know where they come from. They are very common right. in our vernacular, those those understandings of faith. But it's just really important to say the Bible knows nothing of those definitions mm-hmm. yeah. of faith. And so we use this illustration of, you know, trust. Trust can be illustrated in a bunch of ways, but in, in Lehi illustrated it, it with this thing that always stands out to me when you, when you um, fly. You go down the jetway and you come to the edge of the jetway and there's that little crack between the jetway and the plane. And you look down and you can kind of see the runway and it's 20 feet, but in just a little bit, it's going to be 30,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And the moment you step across that line, all your safety, all your security, everything is placed into that operation mm-hmm. that the pilot's been trained, the, yeah. the maintenance been done on the airplane, they've checked the weather. They've, I, and I just sit there. I just mm-hmm. sit there and go where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. But it's a good picture of trust and confidence. I've placed my faith yeah. into the plane. And so when you place your faith into Jesus, you're saying... All that he is and all that he does and all that he says, it is the source of my security, satisfaction, significance, eternal yeah. life. Yeah, uh, He defines it for me now. And so I think we all place our faith in something, and that's just a really easy way to see it. Yeah, and it's possible to place your faith in a bad plane or a bad pilot. But Sure. <laughs> it's happened before, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's not do that. And I think the important thing when we're thinking about those uh, those definitions of faith that you were giving from, you said Mark Twain and, uh, and Doc, uh, Richard, Dawkins, yeah, yeah is... Uh, you know, those definitions do come from what is observed. Like, there are people who faith to them is exactly that. I don't want to look reality in the face, so I'm going to uh, put my faith in something, and it's blind. It's just, mm-hmm. I hope that this is true, and I don't really want to consider anything else. Mm-hmm. And yet, that's not what the Bible is speaking of. Yeah, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I think there's a real challenge there to all the Jesus followers listening. Please don't communicate with your words or your actions that type of faith. Well, how do I not do that? Well, in, examine your faith so that you can put into words why your faith is built on evidence. Mm. Examine the evidence. And, and I think it's really important that we help clear up that erroneous understanding of faith as Christians mm. by talking in the way we're talking today or by reading good books on this by great thinkers in the yeah. realm of apologetics. But um, when you know why you believe what you believe, you will be a part of clearing up the bad definitions. Mm-hmm. 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 That's great. Mm-hmm. Great, great. All right, verse uh, verse 9. 
Yeah, verses 9 through 14 is the next section of sorts, and it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us for the dominion of darkness, from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, we could spend about, you know, 10 hours breaking down each word in that run-on sentence. It's so long, mm-hmm. um, so important. Each word, each word is so, so crucial. There's a lot there about faith, a lot there about who God is, who we are in him, a lot about what God has done through salvation and how that strengthens us for, for life. Um, anything specifically you guys want to break down there? I think just initially, I like how in verse 10, it's, you know, there's something helpful about uh, these letters that Paul writes, and there's instruction in here. And so in, in 10, um, it's, it's, you know, saying that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. There's like this, you know, colon here. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Bearing yeah. fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people. So I just kind of like things that are super clean and cut, and you get a lot of that in uh, Pauline letters. Yeah, yeah, you sure do. And you even you even see, um, I love the way you highlighted that colon being the setup for here's how this happens. That's mm-hmm. a great way to understand the use of that punctuation. And what you see in the early parts of this section is you see the word knowledge used twice and wisdom used once. Mm. Point being, those that is... Uh, an intellectual process, mm. learning who God is, and then applying mm. that truth into everyday life is wisdom, yep. and that is pleasing to God. So once again, bad faith is don't think. Good faith is think so hard yeah. about about who Jesus is, and then that produces in us um, this this power that we can then um, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. That that thinking, good thinking, strengthens you for good living. Yeah. So we're talking head, heart, hands, and then endurance and patience. And the word character, as we use it, is really close to the Greek word for endurance, yeah. that, that you would be this steady individual because of the knowledge you have that comes from the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's illuminating who God is, illuminating truth about Him. That is empowering to us so that we can live a godly life. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I feel like um, this this prayer is almost like a setup, because in some ways, I think religion would look at what Paul is saying here and say that he's praying for them to have a better understanding of God's will, and it's for a specific reason, right? So that uh, you continue to, you know, live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, you'll bear fruit in every good work, you'll have this endurance, um, and, and it's almost this, I feel like religion would take this, which, you know, the Colossians had some bad faith, religion is bad faith, and and say, all right, so he's praying for me basically to do more, that I'm going to, my life's going to, I've got to keep working harder, i got to keep striving, and that's really what this, it's almost like a setup in the prayer, Mm -hmm. uh, because what he flows into in the poem, when he really establishes good faith, it could not be more opposite of that. Um, mm. and not that, not that, um, you know, we don't live in response to Jesus's grace and try to like strive to honor him in all things, but mm-hmm. in no way, shape or form is that earning anything from him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just, I feel like in a way he's kind of setting them up with this prayer. 
Absolutely. You know, in, in, in part three of the series, in chapter three of the book, we're going to talk about identity driving activity. And we're going to talk about what, what motivates obedience to live mm. in a way that would please him. And our idea of authority, identity, activity, identity before activity, belief before behavior, has really um, been uh, a study of, come out of a study of chapter three. And so we're going to mm. really focus on that. You said something, Trevor, that's really important. Um, this is probably pretty nerdy, but you guys see the second part of 12, who has qualified you. Who has qualified yep. you? Religion says you qualify yourself Oof. to share in the inheritance, or you're working on it. Present yeah. tense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got to earn your qualification. Let's not pass over who has qualified you. I, I didn't study the Greek setup of this before we, you know, hit record today, but I've I've studied it enough to know that I'm that that verb is is probably in the passive mm-hmm. tense. Mm-hmm. The qualification is something we receive, not something we achieve. Yeah. Wow, that's important. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. important to get right, and so. You know, it's it's when you read these long run-on sentences, sometimes it's easy to go like, okay, just get to the end. Where's the period? Where's the period? Where's the period? Yeah, yeah. But it's really important that each phrase, uh, you know, is connected to the phrase before it, the phrase after it, because mm-hmm. he's, he's basically building this this beautiful, uh, you know, tapestry, and each of these yeah. each of these phrases um, qualifies the the phrase around it. So. Yeah, and if you get you know if you ever get the chance, and you don't have to be a biblical scholar to look at the original language, um, there's tools that can help you a lot with this. But language, I think, is something that's so cool. I'm not very uh, knowledgeable in the subject. My wife has a degree in linguistics, and I've talked oh, really? to her I didn't about know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I asked her just last week when we were in Florida, like, do all languages have the same tenses? And she said, no. I mean, it's really kind of just depends on the language and then how we would translate that. But uh, there are some cool nuggets Mm -hmm. in in looking at the Greek Mm -hmm. and and something like this. So, Yep, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, All right, let's get to the next section. Here comes that poem, uh, Trevor, Mm -hmm. the incredible poem. Yeah, Yeah. set us up up for the poem. I I heard you say it on Sunday and hear you talking about it now, but like, so this is, I mean, give me what knowledge do you have on that? This is one of the finest examples of prison literature that we have, I would say. There you go. Yeah, what I said on Sunday is uh, long before MLK penned his letter from a Birmingham jail, uh, long before... Uh, John Bunyan penned a pilgrim's progress in the Bedford County Jail. The Apostle Paul was on house arrest in the city of Rome, and he wrote not only this letter, but this poem that is stressing the identity, the importance, the preeminence, which is an idea we'll get Mm -hmm. to in just a minute, Mm -hmm. of Jesus. And it's really central to what this letter is all about. How do we know it's a poem? I mean, because when I'm reading it, like, I can't really tell. It doesn't, like, rhyme. So how do you know it's a poem? Yeah, well, um, you see the repetition of the word firstborn. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and uh, I just, I guess I know from commentaries and different yeah. things that it's often sure. thought that it, it perhaps is even like a hymn that Paul is taking that yeah. churches used and sang together during this time. And he's kind of taking it and repurposing it mm-hmm. uh, for this letter, with yeah. what he's doing. And uh, the Greek language has ways of setting things apart mm-hmm. and, and causing things to rhyme in a way that would be crystal clear to that reader this is a poem. Mm-hmm. But when you take those words and put them in a way where English can understand them, mm-hmm. you lose the sense of the rhyming, the poetry, the phrasing, the structuring, the word, the turn of a phrase, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. In a way that would make sense. You know, I don't, I'm trying to think of a rhyme off the top of my head. I can't think of a nursery rhyme. I can think of like maybe like Eminem rhyming or something, but <laughs> uh, like, a rap, like a rap song. But like in the English language, we pick up on poetry pretty quickly um, when you read this in the Bible, you don't really pick up on the poetry uh, as much. But um, 
you know, the, it, the NIV tries to use colons again to kind of mm-hmm. set some things apart, commas and interesting spaces, uh, places so that you know where to pause and things like that. And so, so those are some dead giveaways in the English. There are more dead giveaways in the Greek. Yeah, for sure. So let's read, uh, what do you think, Trevor, from 15 through to 23, or should I stop at the section at 20? Uh, let's stop at uh, 15. Let's read 15 through 17. And then we'll, okay. yeah, first stanza, then we'll pick it up at 18. There we go. First mm-hmm. stanza. Uh, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All right. Absolutely. I, um, man, this is, this is so technical because there in the, in the first, you know, two verses, um, you have a lot, you got a lot to deal with. I mean, you got to, you got to deal with the sun. Okay. How do we understand sun hmm. in the English when we first hear that? I think of my son, Jack. That's not how we should think of it. Okay. The next one is the image of the invisible God. What does image mean? Does mm. Jesus just kind of look like God? Is he, or is he actually God? Or is he just a ghost and sort of mirrors God? Okay. So that's really, really tricky. Those are two tricky pieces. Then you got firstborn, which connected to son makes it seem even more like offspring, mm. which is completely incorrect. Um, and then overall creation, for in him all things were created. So, that's the clear up to all of this. If Jesus is created or offspring of, how could he be doing creating? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of off the table. So firstborn image of son must be, mean something different. Mm-hmm. And then the next section you have the um, heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, these these um, kind of extremes being juxtaposed, trying to say all things. Yeah. Not, um, not trying to separate these different aspects of, the world or the cosmos, but just trying to say all things, um, mm-hmm. kind of like the merism stuff we talk about in Genesis, yeah, in the book of Genesis. Um, so, anyways, how would a first century person heard have heard son and firstborn and image? I mean, how would that have all connected? Because they're all in the same category of trying to communicate of one substance, yeah, you know, that type of thing. Wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I think the image of the invisible God, that part is like you see that language all through the Gospel of John, which again, at certain points, makes the, the deity, like that the Jesus is fully God, so clear. Uh, like in John chapter 1, John chapter 8, when he says, you know, before Abraham was, I am, like Jesus is clearly claiming divinity throughout the entirety of that book. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You, yeah, exactly. And that's that's exactly what this is getting at, roles within the Trinity, mm-hmm. that as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus has the role uh, or the function of making known the first person of the Trinity. Yep. Mm-hmm. And what we get with Jesus, we get with God and vice versa. I used to have a seminary professor that said that. And so, yeah, image is not a nice picture of it's the same substance as in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And firstborn, um, you know, we think of that in our culture where it's less of an honor and shame culture, less of, uh, you know, privilege and responsibility um, and even resourcing for the firstborn. But back in the first century, all of those things were in place. And so 
for a person to have the role of firstborn didn't necessarily mean, well, you know, it, it's not so much tied to them being the first one born within a family, the first yeah, one among biologically. the siblings. Yeah, it's about a position that they filled among the siblings, a position of privilege, of preeminence, mm-hmm. of responsibility. That's actually why they received the bulk of the inheritance, to resource them to be able to fulfill the responsibility they had. Mm-hmm. So far more about position than it is about biology. Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then son, how do we read son? Yeah, I'm curious what you're going to say about that. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, my, my go-to uh, phrase is, it's not offspring of, but at the same essence as. Mm. Yeah, so it's not, son doesn't mean offspring of, but um, same substance as the essence of. Mm-hmm. And and um, we can kind of see how that, that makes sense, why that language was adopted. I mean, I think if you were to study first century or ancient rulers, ancient kings, their way of trying to describe themselves in relationship to deities often involve familial language. Mm-hmm. And so son of is trying to say, I have the same qualities as the one that I'm the son of. Mm-hmm. And so son mm-hmm. of God is connected to quality, substance, essence as the one above me. And yeah. so it's this it's this phrase where describing that's describing Jesus as fully God, not yeah. the offspring of God, but mm-hmm. the essence. The same as, as, as substance is more powerful than essence, probably. The same yeah. substance as God. Hmm. Fully, yeah. fully God. Yeah, and with everything that comes after, it's like Paul is making it absolutely crystal clear that Jesus is the one through whom all things were made, were created. And if that's true, that necessarily separates him from the category of being created. Mm-hmm. He's not created, he's the creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember um, this really interesting and obscure... Um, Stephen Colbert episode. Do you guys know Stephen Colbert? Yeah, yeah. And he has Bart Ehrman on the show. Oh, man. And Bart Ehrman does, is a fascinating episode. Uh, what was Stephen Colbert? It's called the Stephen Colbert Show or the Late Night Show? Yeah, I mean, or? he's had different shows. I'm okay. trying to remember what he's on now. Yeah, Bart Ehrman, who's a New Testament scholar, but not a Christian. Mm-hmm. He actually went to the same undergrad as Adam and I. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's a moody, moody wow. grad. Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and Stephen Colbert is Catholic. Um, and they're having this talk about whether Jesus is God or not. It's fascinating. And Colbert basically has this line. He goes, he goes, I don't remember everything that he says, but he says like son of an elephant's what? Well, an elephant, son of a thing. Uh, and then he goes, and son of a duck is a duck. So the son of God is God. And I actually think that's mm. how we should read son of the same, the same thing as not offspring of. So it's a good yeah. analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so funny that Stephen Colbert is throwing it back at Bart Ehrman, who's the, actually the scholar, but those comedians, those talk show hosts, those comedians, they can get away with anything. Yes, man. They can, they can <laughs> just lay into culture and they get away with it. So, um, anyways, yeah. All right, let's keep going. So before all yep. things, that, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the idea of firstborn. The firstborn was before all things. Mm-hmm. The firstborn would hold all things together. Yeah, and we're going to see more of that as we go through these next three verses, 18 through 20. Mm-hmm. So verse 18 is, and he, being Jesus, is the head of the ch- of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thus ends the poem right there. Boom. Um, Man, this next section is incredible. So if the first section of the poem is Jesus in the place of prominence, first place, best place, highest place over the cosmos or creation, here Mm -hmm. he has that over the local church, the body Mm -hmm. of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And even if you you go back to that phrase in the opening prayer, uh, verse uh, 5, 
the hope stored up, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, being the renewal of all things. And you come back over here, you see that Jesus is not only the firstborn over all creation because he brought all things into being, mm -hmm. but because of his resurrection from the dead, that being the beginning of that process, um, and that gives us certainty that if he did live, he did die, he did rise from the grave, we can know uh, that not only will we rise in the same way, but the renewal of all things is something that he will bring into being. Mm -hmm. And so it's basically getting at, he's not only the one who brought all things, through whom all things were created, but he's the one through whom all things will be made new. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the in the context of the Apostle Paul describing Colossae as a new spiritual family, a new spiritual community, you can see why the language that's a bit more familiar than we might expect is being used here. But it connects back, I don't know if you saw this in, in Colossians 1, it's just jumping out at me today, he has qualified you to share in the inheritance. The firstborn was the one who would kind of oversee the distribution of the inheritance as the one left. Yeah. And so you see these familial ties really communicating because of who Jesus is, your new family in the gospel is secure. Guys, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. This is who you are. Keep living that out. Mm -hmm. When all the difficulty comes, the heresy comes, the divisions come, the false teaching comes, continue to be this new community grounded, grounded in Jesus. So mm -hmm. um, basically what Paul is doing here, you know, it, if this is a bit complex and you're like, do I really need to break down all these words? I mean, have fun doing that. But eventually what Paul is doing is taking the most powerful language he has and stretching that language as far as he can to explain Jesus who is beyond our words. Mm -hmm. And when I was trying to explain supremacy uh, in, in Lehi, I, I started to illustrate supremacy or Jesus's place of preeminence, which we'll get to in a second. There's no singular illustration that can encapsulate it. Hmm. And so Paul's just throwing the kitchen sink of theological phrases and powerful right. word structures um, at, at the people to help them see he's the best of the best, the highest of the high, the most powerful, the powerful, the most authoritative of all mm. authorities. Yeah. And he's just trying to put it into words. And I don't know if you've ever tried to put something into words and you're just like, I can't. I'm basically mm -hmm. out of words. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think here when he gets to 20, he's like, guys, that's it. Like I'm out of words, you know, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's that amazing. And so supremacy was interesting. Um, I, I don't use that word a lot, supremacy, but um, you guys ever ordered a Supreme pizza? Yeah. yeah. What, what's on the Supreme pizza? Everything. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I was preaching to a middle schooler, that's how I would describe Jesus as supremacy. It is. That's right. Yeah. He is the one that holds all these things together. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. he is before all things, the best of the best. And so anyways, that's... Uh, where supremacy comes in. Of course, verse 19, God, to ple God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him, um, all his fullness, so he's fully God, which is what he's been saying. Yeah, is that going back to what you were saying mm -hmm. earlier, Eric, about his, uh, what, you just used the word, uh, you were using two words, and you said one is better than the other, his... Uh, oh, his substance, the yes. same substance as? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, is that kind of what that's getting at? Yeah, there? the son has the fullness of the one before, mm -hmm. and God the Father, God the Son. And once again, those are places or positions in the Trinitarian relationship. Yeah. Which, which the, you know, the son also does imply, um, oh, what's the word? There's a very precise theological word from Philippians two, Trevor, um, subordination. There it is. Mm, no. Subordination, the Trinity, which is Jesus is subordinate as the second person, of the Trinity to the father, who is the, the first person of the Trinity. Yeah. And I think son of has that subordination kind of built into it. Yeah. I sure hope my son's subordinate to me. <laughs> but I think there's an aspect of that. Once again, that's not 
let's not use one illustration to explain the whole thing. I think we mm-hmm. missed, but there are aspects yeah. of certain yep. things inside of this, of these words that help us get the full picture. And then that, that's why I think Paul's using so many different ways of describing this. Cause mm-hmm. like that one explains it really well, but not completely. And so here's another way of explaining, but that one's not, compl- you know, so yep. I'm trying to like use all these languages, language yeah. and words to yep. describe mm-hmm. it. Yep. Yeah. I do think uh, verse 20 is interesting too, by making peace, you know, between us and God, <clears throat> Uh, through his blood shed on the cross makes it very clear that the way Jesus made peace uh, between us and God was through his death on the cross specifically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Later, we might need to do a whole series on this poem alone because that every be cool. word has to be unpacked, you know? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how poems are. Like, poems are designed with few words to explain massive realities that would take books and books and books. But that's mm-hmm. the beauty of a poem is that it, it kind of gets the emotion across puts you into it with a few words. And so you have these massive phrases, you know, blood on the cross. Like there are other books or letters where Paul spends chapters explaining that, but here he mm-hmm. just throws it out there. Why? Well, because mm-hmm. in a poem, a poem is a shorthanded way of helping you memorize all these massive eternal truths. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's why we sing songs to this day that we yeah. hope grab at the gospel truth. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's keep moving on and uh, go through verses 21 um, through 23 here and, and read that section. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out and do not hold do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which i paul have become a servant so trevor does if you continue mean this is only true of you if you keep it up you know is he getting after that cuz here's our word faith again mm-hmm. yep. and Bad faith would be you have to continue to behave to keep yourself in. Yeah. Um, But it sounds like that's what this is saying. Yeah. I honestly think this line is like one of the most important lines in this chapter, maybe even in the book, um, that this, whichever way you go with it, if you continue in your faith, the question being, what does it mean to continue in your faith? Does that mean, okay, I got to keep working at this, I got to keep striving that, uh, you know, Jesus got me part of the way, but I got to make sure I keep praying, keep reading, keep doing all these different things so that, um, you know, I got to keep striving or else it's not going to be enough. That I think it's easy to read it in that way. And yet I think in light of everything we've just talked about, uh, especially with the poem, everything he's stressing about Jesus, that Paul's actually saying the opposite, mm-hmm. that your faith, your trust is not in Jesus plus this, or Jesus plus your baptism, or Jesus plus your religious activity, or any of that, your faith, your trust is in Jesus Christ alone, because he's the one through whom all things were made, and he's the one through whom all things will be made new, including even yourself. And you don't have to do anything uh, to add to that. You just have to keep your trust in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you stop trusting in that, what happens? What does that look like? Any thoughts? Hmm. Stop trusting? I mean, it's like... And I think that's kind of what's on on the line, so to speak, because if you're going to diminish Jesus, you're going to take away from who he is by either adding your own work in or adding another God as someone you have to worship alongside Jesus Mm -hmm. or another spiritual being, you are then failing to trust. You are then saying, I no longer trust. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem. I mean, that's, that's serious, you know? If you go back to the plane analogy, in a way, it's like stepping off the plane. Yep. 
So people say, is this a lose your salvation thing? I don't think so. Is this an earn your acceptance thing? Absolutely not. We've already looked at He's the one who qualifies us. I think what he's saying is there's never a day that you stop trusting this. Mm-hmm. And when and every day as you trust, remember this is who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think it's far more of a um, trust connected to an identity, not um, keep behaving with a certain activity to mm-hmm. keep in, I, I, to keep in the, in the whatever. Yeah, it's like trust in Jesus isn't like, it's not like it's the, the diving board, right? That you dive into the pool yeah. and then you got to swim all the way through this life to get there. Mm-hmm. He's saying trusting Jesus isn't the diving board, it's the whole thing. It's yeah. the whole pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So back to this idea of preeminent, um, that's, a, that's a massive theological word. Sometimes I feel like there are some translations of Colossians one that actually keep the word in it. Are there any? Would you guys know off the top of your head? I don't. I don't know. No, but that's I know a good question. When I when I was kind of working through this and um, uh, you know, studying the the text and looking at that point which we preached, the point being Jesus was not created but is preeminent over all creation. I thought the word preeminent was in the text. I went back and looked in Colossians one, and the NIV doesn't use that word mm. in the text. Of course, it's describing his preeminence. I'd have to go back and look if if other maybe you can just sounds Google like an ESV. Quick. I'm just gonna. Take a look at that. Do you know off the top of your head, Trevor, preeminence is actually used in any of the Colossians 1 translations? I would I would guess ESV has it. Yeah, I'm trying to find ESV along. Or, or maybe it's just like a systematic <laughs> theology word yeah. that describes all of this stuff. Yeah. All the all the position and honor and posture stuff mm-hmm. of, of Jesus. So I do see in the ESV, it's used, uh, you know, in past tense, uh, verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. So that's the. I knew it. Yeah. Boom. I knew it. There so it's it used there, but it's, that's actually the only time it's used. Yep. Yeah. Preeminent. I knew it was used. I. Yeah. So it looks like it's the word uh, supremacy in the NIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Supremacy, preeminent. Um, you gonna order a preeminent pizza? <laughs> a preeminent pizza. Yeah. I want that's the best. Of, I want the best of the best. What is it? I'll take the preeminent, please. <laughs> yeah. That's so, Trevor, you're so dang funny. That's a good. That's a good one. Wow! 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 So, um, what does the word preeminent mean? And maybe we should break this down in two parts. What does the word imminent mean? And then why put a pre in front of it? What are we doing with that? Ooh, that's a good question. Why? 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 Good question. So, um. Yeah, what do you think? Have you ever used the word imminent before? Jeez, I mean... And not not I, not like imminent danger. Yeah, eminent, you're saying. That's a different word, right? Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, that's a different word. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, uh, yeah, imminence, like, you know, with an I, but eminence is... I just think of royalty, like yeah. your eminence, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh. It's a way of addressing someone who is like, is communicating honor, expressing like you are in a way like higher or... Um, just a higher status of honor, position, See, authority, all of that. I don't watch The Crown, so, I mean, oh, man, I don't, you know, probably know what that, don't use that, see that. <laughs> what yeah. do we got, Eric? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's basically like a, I mean, if you just Google it, it's just a recognized superiority, recognized mm-hmm. superiority. And so in the first century, as you think about what did they recognize as superiority, um, they saw Roman soldiers, they saw... Um, maybe prominent Jewish leaders. They saw kings. They they were around imminence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you think of the crown, the show, or the coronation thing that just happened, we do say to a king um, or a queen, well, hello, your imminence. Oh, I, mm-hmm. think, I think that's what they might sure. say. Sure, I will just shows. say that they say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, your imminence, which means you're bigger than me, you're more superior than me, more powerful than me, mm-hmm. more honorable. Yeah. I'm going to treat you as such. So that word, that word gets used. So where's um, the pre-part come in then? Yeah. I have my thoughts on that. What do you think about where the pre... Yeah, my my inclination would be to say that it's just saying, uh, 
like it's almost like a recognized superiority above even all recognized superiority. Mm-hmm. Recognized yeah. Superiority. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's just a double down. I think it's just a double down. Mm-hmm. Best, you know, eminence meant the best, the highest. Preeminence means the best of the best, the highest of the highest. Like that's that was my mm-hmm. way of describing it. Yeah. The, pre, the goat, you could say. The goat. Yes. <laughs> the yes. Goat. The pre. <laughs> the pre is before all great things were. There was this great one. That mm-hmm. type of language, and so. You know, in Lehi, I was really trying to describe to to our people what preeminence is because it's like so foreign. And so um, I did. I used, I said, let me come at this from a whole bunch of different angles. And I think perhaps we can, you know, paint a masterpiece with all these unique illustrations. Um, so one of them was the, the coronation stuff when it comes to royalty. That's the king. And so he is eminent. Um, he's in the, the position of highest honor. Um you know, something else that we just uh, need to recognize um, when it comes to imminence is something that stands above us at all times. And so I use the illustration of uh, Timpanogos, the peak in Utah County, which, uh, or even Lone Peak up here in Salt Lake County. It's just wherever you are in the valley, you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the highest of the high. It's the peak above the other peaks. It's um, it's the preeminent um, peak in this section of the Wasatch Front. Mm, yeah, so it's like the Wasatch Front is eminent. Yep. And Tim is preeminent. Yeah, it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, guys, don't like press that too hard, but I'm just trying to get at what is preeminence like. Um, if you're a vehicle person, you know, they, they've come out with like J.D. Power and Associates. This is oh, yeah. really a hard turn. I get it. <laughs> um, but certain vehicles are, you know, best in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So eminence is the highest class, the position of honor, the best thing. Preeminence is the best in class, the best of the best class, Boom. so to speak. Um, and then I, I used one more. What was the other one? Oh, the national anthem, the mm. national anthem. And this is the idea of the come before piece, you know? And so um, the national anthem is, is interesting to me. Of course, it's, it's, you know, come under, you know, scrutiny or, or how people address it or whatever over the last few mm. years, a hot, hot take type of thing. Not trying to necessarily bring that up, but what I think is interesting is that, you know, growing up with my dad, he'd take me to games and before my own games, before graduation, before all of these things, before the main thing we came to see, there was this other thing that was done. It was pre mm. the thing. Mm. It came before. And and so the national anthem um, started in 1918. Babe Ruth Red Sox were playing the uh, Cubs. Mm, Chicago. Cubbies. There you go, boys. <laughs> uh, playing the Cubbies. And um, this band just in the seventh inning stretch, not before, but in the seventh inning stretch, struck up a chord of this song that was emerging. And it was so successful, people began to join in. They thought, we want to honor this. Our country want to honor this place that's allowed for such an enjoyable experience, a game. And so then they put it at the front, and it became the pre-thing to the Mm -hmm. thing. And I'm not trying to say there's something else that's the main thing, and Jesus is just tacked onto the front. But what I'm trying to say is it comes before all of these things, across different sports, across different settings, this thing still remains first. Yeah. Jesus yeah. still remains first mm-hmm. across all walks of life. Yep. And, and so that's so cool. And I, and I think we see that, like, are we actually treating him as such? Well, if you just think about the global church, um, Christians across the globe um, on Sundays are treating him as preeminent. They're lifting him up. They are worshiping him. They're saying he's the main thing in all these different languages, all these different places, all these different expressions. But he's still the preeminent one. And I think, boom, it's all coming together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, take a spin at wrapping this up. Uh, maybe I can just read through the whole rest of the chapter, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit broken up, but maybe as a conclusion of the chapter. Yeah, work. and we didn't, even, we didn't even preach this part in the, um, in the sermon. 
Yeah, almost like 124 to 25 is kind of its own separate section. Oh. But let's just read it and provide some mm-hmm. observations, and then we'll wrap up, guys. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. It says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. This part this part's way confusing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was reading. I'm like, am I reading this right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it sounds like somehow Christ didn't suffer enough, and so I'm going to make up the rest. You know, mm-hmm. like that's... What's, what's lacking in his afflictions. Um, yeah, keep going and we'll make okay. some sense of it. Uh, I have become its servant by the commission uh, God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Yeah, so this section is um, designed to be Paul getting vulnerable, Mm -hmm. in a way, um, highlighting humility. Mm. And so... Uh, I think he's trying to build um, build trust with his listeners. He's trying to explain the pain he's experiencing for the sake of the gospel, which mm. is, of course, producing hope and producing life. And so those things at the tail end of one are simply this idea of, I want to make disciples and I'm going to toil and I'm going to struggle to that end until they, that happens. Perfect in mm. Christ. He's not trying to say so-and-so can be perfect. He's just saying um, a better understanding of the word perfect. We hear moral perfection it meant the Greek word means more like um, complete maturity. Yeah. Hmm. So that's the idea there. Not moral hmm. perfection, but complete maturity. So Paul's saying, mm-hmm. I struggle. This is who I am. I'm revealing to you now because God's chosen me to do that. The truth of the gospel, and I'm going to continue to pour out my life for you all. That's kind of what this section is designed to do. But I think the hardest piece of it is what's the lacking piece? I fill up yeah. in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Um I have my opinion on that. I go for it. I, I don't know if you guys have opinions on that. What is lacking is not that Jesus didn't suffer enough. What's lacking is that people don't appreciate his suffering enough. Hmm. That's what I think he's he's completing that lacking piece. What's lacking is not that Christ hasn't suffered enough or he hasn't done enough for our salvation. What's lacking, um, which is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Okay. Jesus has given his life to, for people. What's lacking in regards to that is that people haven't embraced it. Mm. And so he says, I fill up, I'm filling this up in my own life mm-hmm. by helping as many people as possible appreciate his affliction. Yeah. So I think that's what he's trying to say there. It, it reads a little wooden, it reads a little clunky, but I think that's the, the heart behind what he's saying. I could be wrong. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a difficult passage. Um, but he suffered in order to do that. And I think whenever you come across something like this that's not... Um, you know, that, that lacks a little bit of clarity at first. The way to work at it is to take what is clear and mm-hmm. to work from that and to pay attention to the, the broader context. And that's really what he's been stressing throughout the entirety of this first chapter. I want you uh, basically to transition from bad faith to good faith. That's what he's praying for. Mm-hmm. That's what he's explaining in the poem. That's what he's working towards. And uh, right here, he's basically just saying, this has been my life. This is my ministry mm-hmm. um, to do this very thing. I've suffered for this for decades. Uh, joy in the midst of mm-hmm. the suffering, but the mm-hmm. suffering's still there. Yep. Um, so, and, th- and there's a piece of that where he's saying, um, and my suffering, um, 
how would we say this? How would I want to say this? My suffering is um, connected to Christ's suffering as well. Like I consider it an honor to suffer as my Lord. My Lord suffered and I'm going to, mm-hmm. and I don't consider myself any better that, that I wouldn't have to suffer, you know? Mm-hmm. And that, that yeah. language is used um, a couple of times by the apostle Paul. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, like there's this one section, I forget where exactly, but like consider it. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm worthy of the sufferings of Christ. Like yeah. I'm committed to him. And so I, I should expect to ex- experience some of the suffering cause he did too. Yeah. It's almost like it, like, uh, and, uh, yeah, feel free to, um, you know, use different language for it, but almost like an intimacy that is gained with Christ by experiencing the same kind of or similar kind of suffering that he did, knowing that he's even with you through the suffering as you go through it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a connection that happens between two people who have suffered similar things Mm -hmm. um, in this life. And it's like, they get me, they understand me. They've been in this situation before. I think Paul is describing that intimacy. Well well said. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter one. That was a mouthful. There's yeah, a lot in this episode. We barely scratched (laughs) the surface, but um, we went a little deeper than Sunday and that's good stuff. So hopefully, yeah, you can catch up online if you missed week one of that, of the uh, message on YouTube or in our messages podcast as well. And if you have questions, we do welcome that. And you can send questions just via email. It's probably the simplest for most people, but you can email that to smccutah. I'm sorry, smcc at smccutah.org. It'll be in the show notes too. And uh, you can give us questions and we'd be happy to you know put that a part of our, our episodes as well. So until next week, we hope that you guys enjoy. We'll see you uh, at church, hopefully for week two of our Colossians series. And we will see you back here again next week. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.